0: I was looking for a simpler and fresher routing. It's an extension, that's for sure, but I really like this new group. I can go out and perform the record now. Rick Danko was now out on his own. Nearly two decades with the band left him wanting more. More music, more touring, and more control. He told Harvey Kubernick in 1978, quote, I'm the focal point on the stage this time, and it doesn't bother me. I put this new group together, I telephone them all, I sought out personalities who could bus and fly together and continue to put up with each other. What I do is collect performances from everyone. I make quicker decisions in this position than when I was a member of the band. Danko had been biding his time. He loved the band, they were his brothers, but he was no longer satisfied with his input. For Rolling Stone, he told journalist Michael Gilmore, For me, to sing three or four songs a year, to do some background vocals and not go on tour, Well, that's not enough to keep my mind occupied. And don't get it wrong, Denko wasn't bitter. He enjoyed participating in the last waltz, playing with his friends, having something to focus on and for the group to put its energy into for the first time in years. Still, with Robertson's imposing restrictions, it was time to try some new ventures. And the industry is rabid for new energetic talent. Thus enters Clive Davis and Arista Records. Now, Danko was underrated when it came to understanding of the inner workings of the music world. As he told journalist Chris Charlesworth in 1977, he approached two record companies for a solo outing. Clive Davis was the first to respond and come to Danko's home, where Davis was shown what he had been working on. Now, Clive Davis was born in April of 1932 in Brooklyn, New York, to a Jewish family. He graduated from New York University in 1953 and went to Harvard on a scholarship where he studied law. Starting at a small law firm in New York, he was quickly hired by CBS to be an assistant counsel of the CBS subsidiary Columbia Records at the age of 28, and by the following year he was a general counsel. Over the next few years, Davis maneuvered and gained complete control of Columbia and was uniquely interested in the new generation of folk, rock, and rock and roll. He signed Janis Joplin, Santana, Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, Aerosmith, and Pink Floyd, and the company doubled its market share in three years. Now as a kingmaker in the music world, he was unexpectedly fired from CBS in 1973 for allegedly using company funds to fund his son's bar mitzvah. Wasting no time, Alan Hirschfield, the CEO of Columbia Pictures, not to be confused with Columbia Records, hired Davis as a consultant. Shortly after, Davis maneuvered himself again into a role of becoming president of Bell Records, a division of Columbia Pictures. He quickly reorganized their legacy labels of Coal pox and Colegems Gems and Bell into a new record division, Arista Records, in November of 1974. Over the next year, eager to reestablish himself as a tastemaker and businessman, Davis cleared house of most of the signed artists and began bringing in his own people. He went after the Grateful Dead, The Kinks, Lou Reed, and Rick Danko. The Rick Danko-Arista Records partnership made perfect sense for both parties. Danko, always an eager business mind and the first to sign a solo record deal, saw an opportunity to work with one of the best business minds in music. Davis saw Danko as a hot commodity coming fresh off the last waltz. Danko's boyish charm and voice primed for a solo breakout success. In late August of 1976, it was announced Arista Records was undergoing a major expansion. Six new artists were announced, and Record World reported Arista was jockeying for a new level of market penetration. Clive Davis from his office at Arista Records in New York stated that the label had acquired Alan Parsons, Mandrill, Don McLean, Randy Edelman, the Hudson Brothers, and Rick Danko. On Danko specifically, Davis was quoted as saying, Danko is gaining steam as the major component in the structure of the band, and a solo album will prove the point. And with the business dealings underway, it was time for Danko to assemble the songs and the musicians he planned on working with on his debut album. It was to be a massive undertaking. The band cast a long shadow, but Danko was determined to craft material uniquely his own. He told writer Chris Charlesworth he had plenty of material that he had written over the years, and he was originally going to put that on the album including a song entitled Missing in Action that he showed Clive Davis. However, he later pivoted to crafting fresh material for this record, opting to leave old tunes for another record. Danko was concerned about crafting the best material and positioning himself among his peers as a premier recording artist. Danko went about creating a new band to record the album. He would have plenty of guest appearances, but wanted to create a solid foundation to build upon well in the studio as Danko once said he never auditioned a musician for their skill he auditioned them for their vibe would they fit with him would it be a positive attitude in the studio for guitarists Danko would jump over to the rhythm guitar on multiple occasions in the studio after all he had started as a guitarist before joining Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks however he wanted to assemble a team of strong lead players that could support his vision Michael DeTemple was the name that interested him the most. DeTemple was born and raised in Los Angeles, California, born in 1947. He showed an early interest in music and instruments. At age 13, he began maintaining and repairing many stringed instruments, and he became became acquainted with renowned guitarist Ernie Ball, who DeTemple worked for. Now, playing banjo, guitar, and mandolin, he began hanging around the Ash Grove, a folk club in Los Angeles where he came into contact with luminaries of the time, including Taj Mahal, Doc Watson, Clarence White, and Jesse Davis. And by 1966, he was working in a session capacity, first for Oscar-winning composer Earl Robinson in his orchestra and on Warren Beatty's Bonnie and Clyde. And into the world of rock, he worked on Dave Mason's bestseller Alone Together, and began integrating himself with musicians like Eric Clapton, Van Morrison, and Ronnie Wood. This is where he became quick friends with Rick Danko, who recruited him to play on the album. The second guitarist recruited was Doug Somm. Considered a child prodigy, he performed shows with Hank Williams, Farron Young, and Hank Thompson as a youth before fronting several bands, and he made his way to be signed by Jerry Wexler at Atlantic Records. He made appearances with the likes of Bob Dylan, Dr. John, and Willie Nelson, to name a few, and established himself as a premier musician. Danko also added Denny Sewell, a phenomenal drummer who had worked with John Denver, Billy Joel, and was a crucial member of Paul McCartney's post-Beatle group, Wings. He had also steadily worked with Art Garfunkel and Donovan during the 70s. Danko trusted Sewell to bring the dedication, craft, and experience to his band lineup. Along with these trusty players, Danko assembled a horn lineup consisting of Jim Price, a legend who had played with Joe Cocker, the Rolling Stones, and Eric Clapton. Rocky Morales, a saxophone player, and Charles McBurney, a trumpet player, as well as Louis Bustos, a saxophonist, were brought in by Doug Somm to be regular contributors on the album. Jim Gordon and James Gordon were brought in to support on various instruments, from horns to keyboard and organ. James played with Waylon Jennings and Jackson Brown, and Jim had played drums with Clapton and held numerous roles on projects from Dwayne Allman, Merle Haggard, Gordon Lightfoot, and Joan Baez. Lastly, Terry Danko, Rick's brother, who also played with the Hawks and had appeared in several bands that had found regional success, played various roles in the studio, from drums to guitar. Alongside several guest performers, Danko set out to record his debut album. As Rick Danko once said, My shows certainly won't change the world, but they might help the neighborhood. What A Town, the first track on his album, speaks to that philosophy. Danko worked with Bobby Charles to craft the number, which speaks to both their sensibilities. From the downtown sleaze of New Orleans with the horns to the uncanny rhythm of Danko, making it the perfect album opener. Joining Danko on the track are Michael De Temple, drummer Denny Sewell, pianist Marty Greb, who later worked with the band in 1998, and saxophonist Jerry Peterson and Rick Danko's brother Terry. This is lifted by Ronnie Wood of the Rolling Stones, providing the guitar solo. <laughs> Nick DeRizzio states in his analysis of the song, The open hearted Danko carries this tune, as he most any, by sheer force of exuberance. His buoyant kindness, his true love for his work, was endlessly contagious. Lyrically, the song speaks as the antithesis of Robertson's purpose for the last waltz. Much like Helm, Danko wasn't interested in slowing down and bringing a halt to the touring. While life had its particular challenges, Danko loved his work and had no plans on stopping, as he concludes with the song lyrics, including lines like, What a town, what a town, what a town, I fall in love every time I turn around. Essentially meaning he'd keep going as long as he could. Next, Brainwash shows us a turning leaf for Danko. A brilliant guitar introduction by Blondie Chaplin sets the tune up rather beautifully. The South African guitarist started in the 1960s with the Flames before becoming a feature of the early 70s lineups of the Beach Boys, where he became a contributor. And in 1977, he signed with Geffen's Asylum Records, where he recorded his soul album debut and struck up a friendship with Rick Danko. Franco shifts off his trusty bass guitar in favor of session player Tim Drummond. Drummond was born in Canton, Illinois in 1940 and was notable for establishing himself as a go-to bassist and songwriter. He worked with Conway Twitty, Crosby, Stills, and and Young, whom he also toured with, as well as J.J. Cale and Bob Dylan. He co-wrote Saved with Dylan, Saddle Up the Palomino with Neil Young, and Who's Talkin' with J.J. Cale. He often partnered with Jim Keltner, the legendary session drummer, for his work as well. His playing on Brainwash is bouncy and melodic, much like Danko, taking influences from James Jamerson and Motown. The drums are quite bombastic. The level of cymbal usage and having a train track like Rhythm ups the ante of the song. Lyrically, Danko teamed up with Emmett Grogan to write Brainwash. Grogan, whom I had previously introduced during our look at The Last Waltz, founded The Diggers, a radical community action group of improvisationalist actors in the Hyde ashbury district of San Francisco. Danko had originally met Grogan at a Brawny Wood party sometime earlier. No doubt when you look at the lyrics, the frantic words have loaded connotation. Lines like, brainwash what a price to pay and give it up with your hands in the air no way you're ever going nowhere are directly inspired by how grogan was disgusted by authority danko who continued to become more of an activist throughout the 80s brings conviction to the words and provides us with a track that exudes energy and passion Next, Danko brings in New Mexico as the third track on the album. Mexico, with an E added to the end of the word, could be an ode to Simcoe, his home. Regardless, New Mexico is very much a warm glove for fans of the band. It has all the makings of a classic mid-era song from his former group. Nick DiRizzio states in his review of the music, quote, its initial sense of reminiscence perfectly matches those baleful times with so much uncertainty ahead, not just for Danko, but for all of the band. Again, he brings in a collection of names to assist on the song. Firstly, and most importantly, is Garth Hudson who provides a wonderful accordion throughout the track. Hudson's ability needs no explanation. His kinship with Danko and his ability to elevate any song is on full display, bringing a homey and cozy feel to the track. Danko pairs up with Bobby Charles once again, the pair working wonderfully together to craft the perfect piece that progresses and grows as you listen. Lyrically, the song thrives. Danko is trying to invoke a message that is found across the album, posing questions of what he has done, but how it's time to move on to something new. Does he know what the future holds? No, but taking the journey is all that matters. And you can piece that together from the lyrics like, Got no way of knowing, how far I'll be going and been putting it off too long time to be moving on and there's so much that I'd like to see. The track is simple yet so effective and Danko's friend Eric Clapton provides electric guitar and solos on the number sounding perhaps more like Robbie Robertson than his own typical stylings. His solo that leads into extended guitar lines on the last chorus as the song crescendos is sublime. The mixture of guitar and Danko's voice is balanced so well. Again, Clapton does his best, always showing the former members of the band why he could have been a worthy addition to their lineup. Tired of Waiting is Danko's ode to the beautiful soul music he grew up listening to. From the music of Sam Cooke and others threaded itself through Danko's entire career and in the original materials with the band and covers that they did. With a chance at writing an original song with the stylings of his liking, we end up with Tired of Waiting. Danko opted to co-write the song with Jim Atkinson. Atkinson was a childhood neighbor of Danko's in Simcoe, Ontario. Both he and Rick came from self-taught musical families. Atkinson's father, Stan, was a musical mentor to Danko. Atkinson went on to perform with Hawkins along with Danko's younger brother, Terry. And when Rick Danko recorded his first solo album in 1977, he invited Terry and Atkinson to Los Angeles to help him record. A few exciting things are happening musically in the song. First, Rob Fabroni worked with Danko to create a distinctive percussive backing for the music, for his vocals to glide over. Alongside a pretty standard but solid drum backbeat, Joe Lalo, who founded the American rock band Blues Image, had done session work as a drummer and percussionist on various albums by the Birds, Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young, and the Bee Gees. He was brought in to provide his mastery on drums and various other percussive instrumentation, and Fabroni himself added percussion in the form of a slap, that rattlesnake-sounding instrument, to provide more texture. extra grit and funk is brought by Doug Som, who once again occupies the lead guitar role. He interweaves the piano work from Len Lauber. The song has shades of the last waltzes, the well brooding and textured the lyrics from Danko add to that uncertainty and unease. And as Nick DiRizio notes, the lyric ends up speaking to the dream deferred, a fate Rick Danko surely understood, not because he was in the midst of belatedly starting his solo career, but because the songs that would become Rick Danko sat canned up for nearly a year before their release. To begin with Rick Danko's Sip the Wine, a song that is forever marked in history. Its sneak appearance in the last waltz gives it a significant historical importance, and the song, on its merit, deserves much distinction. Sip the Wine is perhaps Rick Danko's finest composition. Musically, it's like a blooming flower. Lyrically, it provides the same emotional impact as some of the Renaissance finest sonnets. For many, the little scene of Rick Danko in the control room listening to the playback of Sip the Wine led them to the rest of the album. This is without a doubt a cornerstone track, yet it finds itself in an odd spot on the album sequence. Regardless from the very first lightly plucked notes you are immersed, the guitar tugs on your heartstrings, playing compliment to Danko's vocals product of Doug Sam and Michael De Temple's beautiful work together, the second rhythm guitar in the background, providing beautiful open chording. The rest of the sonic landscape is delicately placed. The subtle building of the horns, the very band-like organ humming like a church choir. The instrumentation builds together from the quiet hum to a freight train as it washes over you as the song builds. It would all be for naught if Danko did not provide one of his finest vocals of all time. His voicing is plaintive and sensitive, and the way he reaches for the words his voice breaking though with total control is breathtaking. The use of falsetto sparingly shows Danko's full power as a vocalist. As mentioned, the song's instrumentation builds, and so does Danko's voice. As we reach the song's climax, Danko is joined in harmony and washes the audience over in a way you'd only experience at a gospel church on a Sunday morning. All in all, you can tell this is a personal number for Danko. No shared writing credit, this was fully crafted in his mind. The lyrics speak to the audience simply like much of the album, and that is where the power lies. We must sip the wine till it feels alright. goes without saying that java blues the next track on the album is one of robbie robertson's best pieces of guitar work we've ever been graced to on a track danko while independent was the ultimate social creature a friend of many and a connector and regardless of any negative sentiments within the band danko worked closely with his former bandmates and robbie robertson was always close by hey. Java Blues, as the title suggests, is a meat-and-potatoes blues number. Some may think that the song is a by-the-numbers track that could be album filler, but we are talking about Rick Danko, a man who spent decades as one of the best white blues players in the world. His ability to cover the greats, and now a fantastic blues player in his own right, this song is a true testament to his craft. The song bounces, it's ferocious, the drums are pulsating, and Tim Drummond's bass is thumping, providing that incredible, robust backing that this track deserves. Now let's talk about the lyrics Java blues simple, right? It's about coffee. A drink. We all endlessly gulp down every morning to get through the day. Well, if you take a little bit of a closer look and not so literally, it could be about coffee, which is a stimulant after all, but this song is clearly about cocaine. The drug dominated the North American music scene by the end of the seventies. Danko and Robertson amongst probably all of their peers were heavily indulgent in the white powder. The tongue in cheek lyric is very much Danko. We even get a subtle and not-so-subtle reference in the lyrics like, You know that I'll stay high, drinking coffee till I die, and Down in Bolivia, the people are insane, they want as much for Java as they do for cocaine. The vocals, playful, and the group chants of Java Blues are loose, fun, and even tribal. But it all comes back to Robbie Robertson's guitar. The man was one of the finest blues guitarists in North America. Underrated, perhaps his own doing, but regardless, his work sears the ears and leaves an impression. Sweet Romance is Rick Danko's version of Whispering Pines, or Sleeping, a plaintive ballad chalked full of emotion. Alone in the shadows
1: of a willow tree, I watch from the dark as you cross through the park, coming closer to me. Those. day.
0: Vocally, Danko is restrained, almost delivering a whisper in the vocal booth. His voice is quivering. This is juxtaposed with the chorus where Danko amps up his delivery and tracks several harmonies to back himself. However, I think the track suffers from the overplaying of his session musicians. George Weber and Ken Lauber, who appear elsewhere on the album, kind of overplay on the chorus. The serene feeling that washes over the audience as Danko weaves a beautiful story with the help of lyrics by Emmett Grogan Is rather abruptly interrupted as it transitions into the chorus. The bombastic drums, the distracting organ, and the shambolic guitar playing climaxes before the song returns to the more uncomplicated, comfortable feeling. Overall, Sweet Romance would have benefited from a less-is-more approach. Danko enjoyed tinkering in the studio, trying different parts and instrumentation, something that was afforded to a large degree in the band. The difference is the musical gumbo that the band concocted always had a restraint and it was handled with a delicate touch and in the caring hands of Garth Hudson in most instances. Sweet Romance doesn't have such restraint and it comes across as rather distracting. A pity given the beautiful prose from Grogan and Danko.
1: Far from these streets We'll be side by side To live and laugh and cry With love's lullaby There must be
0: Now, Small Town Talk has a long history. The song was written by Danko and Bobby Charles for Charles' album in 1972, which was recorded in Woodstock with the band producer John Simon. It was an underrated artistic breakthrough for Danko at the time. Helping lead the charge on this album with another artist was much like Levon Helm with Muddy Waters and Robbie Robertson with Jesse Winchester. Small Town Talk is remarkably laid back in its execution and features an interesting chord progression that plays with major chords to add brightness to its arrangement. Denko, while looking for material for his own album, thought Small Town Talk made a lot of sense. It provides a familial touch for listeners and is a remarkable song. In Danko's version, he picks up the tempo, providing his usual bounce to the track to make its jolliness much more apparent. Danko also adds a horn arrangement. The brass offers a welcome swing. Alongside it, there is a fascinating vocal accompaniment that provides beautiful melancholy. The drums are a little bit more percussive, for lack of a better word, and the guitar is more irreverent and searing, and it cuts through the mix. Danko's voice is excellent here. His phrasing is always interesting where he pulls back and lets the lyric breathe versus in other areas he spits it out with such haste and determination that it's always a pleasure to listen to what he's doing. The second-to-last track on Rick Danko's first solo effort is Shake It, an extraordinary number that Danko wrote and features plenty of guests. Jerry Beckley, the founding member and vocalist, guitarist, and songwriter of the soft rock group America, jumps aboard to play acoustic guitar on the track. David Peits, who co-founded and wrote most of the songs for the rock group Toto, plays the Moog, and Richard Manuel plays the Fender Rhodes piano. (laughs) This mid-tempo ballad reflects a romantic longing for a partner. Similar, yet not as convincing as Danko's heart-wrenching It Makes No Difference, Shake It is trying to provide the audience with a similar feeling with the lyrical passages like, I don't want to hide these feelings inside me. I just want to share them all with you. And there's no fields of clover, no white clouds drifting over. I want to be where the sun shines on you. The lead guitar is even implied to be inspired by Mr. Robbie Robertson as Jim Atkinson makes his electric guitar cry as he pinches the notes as the song comes to its final crescendo. Overall, it would have been great to have Manuel join Danko on the chorus instead of what is featured, but understanding Danko's attraction to seeking his own path, it may have been too on the nose, though he does work with Helm vocally. Alas, Shake It is a solid number full of yearning and emotion. That is an excellent transitionary number as the album winds down.
1: Once upon a time Somehow seemed right. The wise were always old. And the young were always show.
0: Denko's final collaboration with Emmett Grogan Once Upon a Time is the closing number of the album. Not even a year after he collaborated with Denko, Grogan was found dead of a heart attack on the subways of New York City. Danko would be joined on the number by Levon Helm, Helm taking the harmony vocal, making him the final member of the band on the album. Nick DeRizzo muses in his analysis of the song It's a standout moment featuring a shared songwriting credit with Emmett Rogan, who, like Danko and Helm, had shared history with Bob Dylan. A sense of community binds them in this song together. The lyrical content of the song is quite telling. It reveals the sentiment that he and Helm shared in the twilight days of the band, one of getting along, even though things weren't easy, closing the final verse with, but very early on, I was spun a different yarn. Tried to get along just by knowing right from wrong, before launching into the large chorus which introduces us to Helm. Again, there is a sentiment Danko is trying to display is one of not just waiting around or letting outside forces control his situation and what we can assure and what we can assume was his musical career. He no longer has to worry about four other men, their opinions, or their egos, rather only concerning himself with his own music. It'd be the last time Helm and Danko sang with each other in the studio until nineteen ninety four with the release of the band's Jericho. The song is rather short, Overall clocking in at 2 minutes and 36 seconds, but there are plenty of things happening musically. George Weber is brought in on the organ. Weber, known for his work with the Smother Brothers, provides a gospel-like flavor present on the track. Pianist Ken Lauber, who had worked with Richie Havens, Tom Jones, and Frankie Avalon, provides his piano playing to the track. The duo of Lauber and Weber provide a band-like arrangement, and Rick Danko provides lead guitar work, proving He wasn't just a remarkable bassist, but a wonderful guitarist as well. All in all, the record was recorded over roughly a three-week period. Danko later told Peter Brown of Rolling Stone in 1977, we'd go in and do a song a day. We usually ended up doing that within five hours, and after that, we'd just go home and meet the next day. A trio of engineers did the mixing process. Tom Knox, who had worked with Seals and Crop, and Chris Hillman mixed alongside Tim Kramer, who worked with Robbie on Neil Young's Beautiful Noise and The Last Waltz. Mastering was handled by Alan Zentz, who had a career working with the likes of Jefferson Airplane, Joe Cocker, and Burton Cummings. Sorry, the cover photography was done by Frank Lafette, who had photographed albums for Teddy Pendergast, Meatloaf, and Chicago. The cover featured a relatively straightforward black-and-white headshot of Danko half-covered in shadow. Now, Arista Records released Rick Danko in December of 1977, but didn't particularly market it well. As mentioned, the album was completed but sat on the shelf for nearly a year as Arista Records attempted to establish itself as a larger label. In hindsight, this hampered Danko's new turn as a solo artist. However, reviews for the album were quite positive. John Rockwell from the New York Times said, The songs on Rick Danko's album capture the apocalyptic mythicism that we hear on the band's greatest music as well as anything the old group had done in years very tall praise and ken tucker of the village voice said rick danko is moving he's finally himself and the ever prickly robert Christau who mentioned it was a stronger album than i'd expect from the band at this moment in history danko's solo debut includes a more sharply conceived city song than robbie robertson had ever come up with Plus, Small Town Talk is one of the decade's great love songs. And in his retrospective review, Charles Dick for Q Magazine said, If any voice deserved the epitaph tortured, it's Rick Danko's. It defined the band's sound on songs like It Makes No Difference and Stage Fright, and here on Sweet Romance, Sip the Wine in New Mexico, it possesses the same strange and fragile beauty. And with the record finally out to the public, he wasted no time in touring with his band. He had a new confidence about him as a band leader, a songwriter, and performer. And while he ensured the press the band would be back to recording soon, you can't help but know that Danko was enjoying his newfound freedom. He had plenty of material to produce and was very compelling on his debut album. The next step would be to keep the momentum moving forward. Would he truly be able to capitalize off his solid start?
2: i was born where i die
0: thank you for listening to the band a history i really hope you enjoyed that episode on rick danko and his first in debut solo album um you know for such a strong album with really wonderful songs um it's crazy that danko didn't end up doing another solo album like this um as I mentioned in the episode, you know, "Sip the Wine is you know a classic song. It's up there with some of the even the best band songs and and Java Blues I was tweeting about it the other day. I do truly think it's Robbie Robertson's finest outing as a as a lead guitarist um you know very early on with the Hawks and John Hammond, his guitar work was searing, and obviously it took a little bit of a backseat in the band, though there are obviously remarkable numbers there as well Uh, Java Blues he just really kind of shows up and it's probably the best guitar work on the album so uh, you know it was really great going through this album. I I hope people who haven't listened to it take the chance to to seek it out it is definitely harder to find I don't believe it's on Spotify Uh, the vinyl is out of pressing you can still buy it but it's it's not in mass circulation anymore Um, but you can find it on YouTube you can, you can download it and, and things like that. A real shame. Uh, I feel like if it was repressed, uh, definitely folks would buy it and give some money to the Rick Danko estate. But, uh, it was a pleasure. You know, we continue on here, um, charting the post band era careers of, of some of the musicians. You know, we'll weave back and forth. We'll go back and talk about Levon Turing off of the RCO All-Stars album, which was a very interesting period. We'll talk about Rick Danko um, and his touring, including actually the final performance of the band, which happened at the Roxy in 1978. We'll get into that in more detail, as well as, you know, the life and careers of uh, Richard Emanuel, Garth Hudson, and Robbie Robertson. Don't you worry, we're going to touch on it all. But uh, I want to give a big shout out to folks listening. You know, I'm not always the quickest with these episode releases. Life's busy, but um, everybody has always been there to support. So thank you, including a big special shout out to our patrons um, for supporting the show monetarily. You know, uh, nobody has to do it, but uh, you guys do. And it's very remarkable. So special shout out to the patrons. And if you want to become a patron, you can go over to patreon.com slash history. Different tiers, early access to episodes, bonus content, blogs, you name it. You get extra stuff over there on the Patreon. Follow along on social media. You know, I have been a little quieter on social lately. Um, but there's plenty of great discussion and uh, great stuff over on social media. at The band podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. So come on over and uh, throw me a message. We can chat. Uh, And finally, the song that you're hearing underneath this, and we will play in full on the outro. uh, I want to give a special shout out to my buddy, Ian James Bain, a wonderful, wonderful musician and killer guitar player, killer songwriter from Guelph, Ontario. He has a new album, out where I want to be he is very much inspired by the band and loves their music as much as we all do and one track in particular definitely has some band flavorings on it called something to do and that will be playing out in the outro here so stick around and listen to that and check out the album on spotify um, apple music probably on Bandcamp and everywhere else I highly recommend it I seriously do it's a a good good album if you like roots country rock you know and everything in between a big giant pot of great musical genres so thank you again for listening to the Band of History and we'll catch you on the next one
2: that resembles a life that's alright these dreams are getting out of here are just a damn waste of time stuck in a small town with no one around just another Oh, Searching for someone, it might as well
3: be you. I
2: ain't saying it'll be forever. You know people change like the weather. We're stuck here together we get each other through. Maybe it ain't true, but at least it's something to do.
3: Maybe